Yeah, that's fine. Did uh, a lot of people think we're going to do four, five, six, and seven? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have we'll have like a couple of different meetings, if you don't mind. So we'll do first recovery, and last time we didn't leave recovery, and we'll go into the non-duality. But just to give you an idea or a simple definition of non-duality, it's which is like a, a spiritual tenant or an idea in most uh, spiritual paths. Yeah, comes actually from the oldest scriptures in the world, the Vedas. And non-duality just means not to. Yeah, not to. So it's a negation of the sense of two-ness. And the two-ness brought back to where we are right now would be called dualism. Yeah. So right now, in the head, sometimes you're thought about as an object, sometimes you're, you're, there's a sense of being the thinker, yes? So sometimes you're the subject thinking about someone else, sometimes that subjectivity is turned on you and you're the object being thought about all day, yes? This is the, the message of non-duality is a negation of that. It's just saying that's not true, that's all. It's not saying what's true, it's saying that's not true. And with the hope, see that to me, the point of it is, if you see that you're not two, you'll find out what you are. Yeah? Instead of looking for what you are from the two-ness, by questioning the two-ness, you'll have a hit of looking from what you are. Yes? Yeah, it's beautiful, really. Now, if you follow, and my, this is, I'm just going to share my experience, hope, but also understanding after 30 years of being in the program and entertaining ideas and uh, and hopefully not getting uh, defined by that statement of Herbert Spencer, contempt prior to investigation. I tended to look into things with that, and I didn't get, hit the point of it's not AA. I let things come in because everything to me, AA is very inclusive, yes? And as it says, we know but a little and people that come after us are gonna add on to it. And you have to realize that the people who wrote the big book were at most four years sober. There's people now with 60 years, 50 years, being under the influence of the same principles and the same power that they were, but for a much longer term, yes? So there's a thing in AA we say, uh, I was, entertaining it last night, we say spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. But both of them can be true, because in timelessness, spirit is perfected, yes? In timelessness, it's perfect. Now in time, when it's appearing seemingly to be us, it could be progressing towards that, yes? But in, in, in its, its inherent condition is spirit, yes? So spirit, seen in time, could, it would look like maybe progression. In timelessness, it's absolute. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. So that's a little idea of non-duality. Now, recovery, uh, first and foremost, the fourth step, uh, I used to have the privilege, since I was three years sober, leading fourth step workshops. Started in San Francisco, and then I was asked to go to a lot of places. And I did it for about 16 years, you know, uh, different conventions and stuff. And so I was basically, I read, I read how it works, the chapter in the big book, quite a lot. And there was a sentence that I'd seen many, 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 many times that is just at the 
prior to the, the nuts and bolts of the inventory. What the fourth step in, in recovery is, is a, a basic inventory that the people who come into the program do. Now, if you find relief in that basic inventory, you can go to the 12 and 12, and it's a much more extensive inventory when they talk about the fourth step. They have a lot more questions that you can ask yourself, but basically, in this basic inventory, we're just looking at some of the common manifestations of self in one's life, and they are resentments, fears, harming other people in the pursuit of what we want, and we look at the sexual arena, yes? So we're basically attempting to see how self has defeated us by its manifestations, and we're gonna look at some of the common ones, yeah? So that's the, that's the inventory, the beginning inventory in the fourth step. So right before we entered that, first he goes off on, you can look at it as a business inventory, and you want to get rid of shit you can't sell. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. And so, and so in a business inventory, you wouldn't be, you know, in a way you would be sort of ruthless in a sense. You wouldn't go, oh, I like this. No, you would say, this fucking hasn't sold in three years. This is doing pretty well. I'll stock this and I'll get rid of that. Yes, but because, see, because of the personalness of the disease, there's a lot of going on. And, uh, and like there's a great story by a woman in one of the previous big books. I don't know if they have it in there anymore. It's called Freedom from Bondage. And this lady was a down-and-out alcoholic, and she uh, had a story that her mother really did her in for her whole life, yeah? And then when she got sober, and she heard that uh, you'd have to, you've got to get rid of resentments, or it's going to kill you. And she had a whole story that she would do anything to get rid of this resentment towards her mother. But just in a few weeks of getting sober and having the mind clear up, yeah, a little bit, she realized that resentment towards her mother was like the golden cow. She'd been milking it for excuses her whole life, like why the marriage failed, why she didn't go to college. So the mental state had a huge investment in that golden cow. It had no intention of letting go of that resentment. Yes, so this is, this is what happens in AA. Knowing it or not, when we're out there using, we are completely in the consequential level. We don't know something's going to happen until after it happens to us. We have this very, there's not much farsightedness, you know what I mean? But basically, I would do the, I would go out, oh, it's hilarious, now, in hindsight. But I was listening to my head like a GPS, basically. It had maps from like 1953. <laughs> and I would punch in my request, which is, I want to be happy, joyous, and free tonight. I want to have some fun. So I go, so, okay, so my head would say, well, go to the bar, Rose and Thistles. I'd go to the Rose and Thistles, start drinking, and then I'd see some guy buy some Coke from there. Then I'd go out and dance, and then I was hoping I'd meet a girl to go home with me, and then suddenly my night would be interrupted by the police, and I'd be in jail. And so the next morning I'd get out, and then I'd go back to the GPS. Uh, I want to have some fun tonight, and it would tell me to do the basically the same freaking thing. I'd get arrested again, and I was incredibly surprised. How could this happen? I did the same thing I did two nights before. This is the, so most of us are usually in the consequential level, so we're going to enter the fourth step to look at just the common ways self has been defeating us. So why? Because you can't see self. You only get to see as an awareness of self through its manifestations. 
There is no self. You cannot take an x-ray of alcoholism. You cannot break it down and find the, the single cell pathogen. You can't see the strain of the virus because it's a mental illness, yes? It manifests, it manifests righteous effects here, but it has no righteous effect itself. Yeah? It jacks into our head and it talks to us as us. Yeah? And we listen to it come with complete faith and it has, we have such a disregard for the evidence, we'll keep relying on that which is shown to be completely unreliable. Yeah? And this is what it says in the inventory process as it goes on a little farther. It asks us a question. It goes, why are you, why are you in so much fear today? And then he answers it, because if he didn't, the book would have been about 3,000 pages. You know? He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So everyone is attributing so much shit to fear, but fear is an effect of self-reliance, yeah? You wanna get out of fear? Get out of self-reliance, yes? Self-reliance is the Petri dish that keeps allowing the fear to grow, yeah? Everyone's calling, oh, it's fear, fear is the cause of everything. Fear is an effect from the point of view of AA. Self-reliance is what has failed us, and that has put us into this anxiety because we, we're relying on that which is unreliable and we're scared shit of the results. Yeah? Yeah. All right, so right before we go into the first nut and bolts, it says, being convinced, which is a present state, state condition, present tense condition, and belief, being convinced means to believe with certainty. Yeah? To believe with certainty. So being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. So Bill Wilson, knowing it or not, has separated the two. And I'm not talking about ego here. I'm not talking about, I, the sense of self is the sense of having an ego and the, sense of, and the sense of wanting to lose an ego. That thing stays the same, with an ego or without an ego. That's the bondage. The bondage is of self, not of ego, yeah? It's, a, it's the feeling of being the one who does everything, who's the seeing of everything, who's the feeling of everything, who's the, the hearing of everything. It's a robbery, really. It's placed itself in a position it doesn't earn, yes? It's a mental image. And like we say in AA, you gotta be willing to save your face and set your, you save your ass and set your face but when I came in, I truly thought my face was my ass, really. <laughs> I was living for an image. And I would die for that fucking thing. I would. Yeah. I would, easily. And it was all mistaken identity. And to me, that's the real root of this problem. It is an obsession with self. It is an extreme. Take extreme self-centeredness, all right? It says we're extremely self-centered. Take it to the nth degree. Where would extreme self-centeredness arrive at? Identification as self. You couldn't be more centered with self than taking yourself to be it, yeah? yeah? And now look, I used to do a lot of cocaine, and I loved cocaine. I mean, I worship it. Like when I was shooting up and people would visit, 
visit. They'd come over my house. It was no visit. It was visiting hours. They would come over, and I'd be there, like, very intent, doing my sacrament, and then my they go, Paul looks really serious, and she says, hey, it's a fucking religion to Paul. <laughs> and it was true. I believe my humble, insane idea was if I could stretch my mind out taut enough, it would snap, and I would transcend this hell I thought I was in. It proved not to be right, but, <laughs> but I gave it my best shot. And you know, it's weird. I'm going to bounce around a lot, but a lot of us, sooner or later, when you enter AA, you're going to probably get into some kind of spiritual way of life, just AA or with some additions like Buddhism or something like that. Yeah. And I was, I got involved back into spirituality in my third year of sobriety, maybe second year. First, it was meditation, and I just started doing Tai Chi again and stuff like that, because I had done it when I was younger. And I, I went to retreats in Thailand and India and in uh, Australia and in America, and I meditated for 13 hours a day. But I could always find, I, was, I didn't have the greatest spiritual resume, yes? But as a drug addict, I was a perfect drug addict. I would judge my devotion, I would compare my devotion to fucking cocaine with like the, you know, Hanuman, the fucking <laughs> monkey god of Hinduism. I mean, I fucking loved it. I was gave everything to it, everything I could get from you I gave to it, I lived for it. And I'm telling you, you cannot transcend an imaginary place. So I can apply that commitment to drug addiction to spiritual addiction because it is an addiction. If you are trying to arrive at somewhere for someone else, it's a fucking addiction, yeah? There's no need to get out of self, you realize you're not in self. So instead of trying to find out what you are, you find out what you're not, yeah? You cannot study, try it. We cannot study what we are because we're being it. We cannot understand what we are. We can't know what we are, yeah? But we can know what we're not. We can study what we're not. We can have an understanding of what we're not. And we're experiencing what we're not all day, basically, yeah? So if you, instead of, and the dilemma is simply this, like St. Francis would say, what's looking is what you're looking for, like right now. That which is looking, not Paul or Jim or Mary, but that which is looking, that awareness or consciousness, is what we're looking for. Yeah. So what, what do you do? Yeah, well, 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 you see? You can't see, the eye can't see itself looking. Yes? So that which is studying everything can't be studied. That which is hearing everything can't be heard. That which is feeling everything can't be felt, yes? So the only possibility we have about concerning us is to be it. And I'm humbly saying we're being it right now. We just don't think so, really. Because we're, we have, we're firm in faith in reliance on the thought system. We think we're a body, we think we're the doer, we think we're the loser and the haver. We think we were there, we're gonna be there. And to me, it's all an activity I call being in the act of being identified as self. So my 
revelation in my life in AA was it wasn't obsession with self, it's identification as self is the root of the problem. And it uses the obsessing over self to reinforce the identification. And it says in our book, you gotta get to the exact nature of the wrong, and I think the exact nature of the wrong is an identification is what you're not. That's the dilemma to me. So, and I have faith in the solution because when I entertained it, my traveling light has stabilized for the last 20 something years, yes? It's sort of like that thing they describe on page 83 and 84 in the big book. The problem will not exist for you anymore. That's a damn good solution, you know, concerning addiction and alcoholism. For you to have the sense that it doesn't exist for you anymore is worthy of the term solution. Yeah, and that is the experience, that's the possibility. It's not an experience, it's actually more of a state. That's the state we can rest in, really. As soon as you see what you're not, you're definitely going to find out what you are. Yeah. So, all right, so this statement, being convinced, leaving with certainty, that self manifested in various ways. And where does the certainty come from? Steps one, you checked it out. You see any life run on self-will doesn't succeed. You've realized by step two that something's done for you that you can't do for yourself. Yeah that it doesn't have to say God, it says you can turn your whole life over the care of a, a power greater than self. I would say the power greater than self is right where you think the self resides, to tell you the truth. It's, it's available at all times, right where we are, with no requirement necessary. All the obscuring, all the clouds in the sky have never affected the sky. All the 4th of July explosions have never ripped the sky open. No plane has ever called the tower and said it ran into a big chunk of sky. That's what our nature is like. It's wide open, allows everything to appear in it, but it's not affected by any of the appearances. What you are has never been touched by all the activities of what we're not. The worst day in your life you were seeing just as well as the best day of your life. The seeing has never been fucking interrupted. The seeing, the clarity, yes? I wish it wasn't there for the worst day, but it was just as clear as it's ever been, yeah? So whatever comes and goes does not affect that which is, yeah? All right, so it says being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us. That's the deal, yes? Okay? If that's true, we'll now look at its self's common manifestations, yeah? So remember the sentence, I shared it last night. Being convinced that self, let's call it a foreign installment, yeah, parasitical movement, whatever you want to call it, some people demonic possession, yeah, self manifesting in various ways, let's just call the first three, resentment, fears, and harm done to others, pursuit of what we want, is what has defeated us, yeah. So he makes a great distinction between us and self, yeah. He says self, through manifesting things in our life, have, has defeated us. We are not self, obviously. If we were, it would have been Paul, Mary, all right, it would say being convinced that Paul, Mary, Jim, Steve, Zill, whatever, manifest in various ways, defeated Paul, Mary, Jim, Steve, Zill. It doesn't say that. It says self and us, yeah? It says, all right, now we'll look at its common manifestations. 
The next paragraph starts with the word resentment. Resentment is a refeeling, yes? So you, re you misread an event now, and it refers to a past event you, event you thought you were had. So you refeel a, a traumatic feeling you had 10 years ago by this person saying something, yes? It triggers a re-feeling. And if you really look at the system we're living in, it's re-everything. It's remembering, re-feeling, re-fucking-thinking. It's a really basically Groundhog Day, you know, basically. So it's all right, so now, all right, so resentment, the number one offender. This is what flips me out. So if you follow the logic, self, the... Resentment is a manifestation of self in one's life, yeah? Not in self's life, in one's life, yeah? Fear is a manifestation of self in one's life. Why are we calling them my resentment and my fear? I would say that's the act of being identified as self, yes? If self is the manifester of the resentment through us, the fear through us, and the desire to get something to the point where we'll harm others in the pursuit of it. If that is what self is, and yet every time those actions come through us, we call them ours, we must be in the act of being identified as self. That's the bondage of self. It's in the book, read it. <laughs> really, being convinced self and us, two distinct things. Self doesn't defeat us, it defeats us through the manifestations. We allow it to manifest through us because we call it us. Every time you run into it, quite a lot all day, every time you run into it, you call it me. It's got carte blanche, it has all your files. It knows your secret, hidden, I'm a loser, I'm unlovable, and it plays it like a fucking violin when necessary. If not, it will just have mental minutia storms all fucking day. And then if there's any chance of being sort of getting out of it, then it gets the big guns. You're never gonna get out of it. You don't deserve, you're still a fucking addict. All this, it's all bullshit. You know how many people are sitting in AA meeting tonight and their head is telling them, you're not really sober. Yes, you fucking are. Yeah. It's, it's playing God. Look at your head. You don't need hours of it. Five minutes will tell you. It thinks it knows you, knows how you're going to be, how you were, how they're going to be. Oh, it's going to suck. You know, I'm not, I suck. I know that meeting's going to suck. You're not even there. I know it sucks. What is that but playing God? And it says in our book, once again, if you look at the 12 step program, it's a linear program, yes? It's 12 steps, and so therefore the, the word first is more important than next, yes? Next would be secondary to first. It says right in the chapter about the third step, it says first you've got to quit playing God. Yeah. And then next in this drama of life, God will be the whatever director and will be his you know, children, whatever. But first, without the seeing of, see, the head is playing God. You're not playing God. You are God, really. The head is playing God with your God juice, really. Yeah? So 
It's not like, so when, when the head that's playing God hears you gotta quit playing God, what does it attempt to do? It tries to quit playing God, which is playing fucking God. <laughs> and it will go out infinite. Tell me when it's gonna break. Tell me the one moment it finally can quit playing God while playing God. It doesn't ever arrive. It goes on ad infinitum. Yes? That's why in the big book there isn't self can't get out of self. It comes from our community. Because a lot of alcoholics observed over time that that's exactly what was happening. Self was trying to get out of self. And it doesn't freaking work. So how are you going to get out of self when there seems to be such a demand? Maybe, maybe realize you're never in, you're not in self. Yes? The best way to get out of something is to realize you were never in it. <laughs> That's the way you go. That's the abstinence. That's that place of, that's that giant space of not drink, of, of not starting, yeah? All the money, all the skillful means, all the rehabs come at the point of stopping. The real freedom is not starting. To be established in not starting drinking, not starting believing in the thoughts, not starting this, that's where the freedom lies. The freedom is before the bondage. You're inherently fucking okay. <laughs> we just don't think so. The thinking makes it seem to be so. As Jesus supposedly said, as you believe, so it is. As you think it, so it will be. The thinking has a lot of juice because we hold, we think they're our thoughts. I could give a shit about Stanley thoughts. Yeah, let's say Stanley's been being driven crazy right now by a thought, I have total immunity to it. It's not contagious. Oh, I feel sorry for Stanley, but hey, I'm fucking happy I'm not Stanley. Yes. <laughs> but then, let's say the same thought that's driving Stanley crazy appears in this head, and it's held as mine. It now has the ability to fuck, fuck with me. Yeah? It's the mind. It's the identification as the thinker that gives the power to the thoughts. What gives the power to feelings is the identification as the feeler. That's where the power gets, that's where it goes. It comes from the identification as the doer of shit you really have nothing to do with. And the language is the incredible supporting. I'm telling you something, the language constantly implies you have a lot to do with shit you have nothing to do with. I have that old example. I wasn't back in New York for a while. I went back to do a talk, and uh, uh, a guy came in who knew me, and he says, hey, Paul, you're growing your hair. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. I'm doing pretty good. And he was balding. I said, you're not doing that well, bro. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pride with it. think it looks great. And so I tell him, you know, I join a group, and we grow our hair together. Why don't you come on Saturday and go on and on and on and on and on? But I had nothing to do with growing the hair. I just didn't cut the hair. Yeah? But see the language? It sounds like I'm, I'm doing it. Same thing, like I, my knee went out surfing. So when I would tell people I hurt my knee in the water, it sounds like I went out with a hammer. Boom, boom, boom. Yes? It gives me a possessive attribute, the language that I don't have. I responded to the knee going out. I did not hurt my knee. I did not set out to hurt my knee. This is what we're listening to all day. <laughs> 
It's implying that you're someone, and then it infects that someone with its manifestations, and you get holding, you get left holding the bag because you're calling its manifestations yours. Now, a resentment would come and go. My resentment can last 40 fucking years. It's all right, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. I am thoroughly convinced of that. All right, I'm now looking at the common manifestations to see what? To see how self has defeated me. I start seeing the patterns, yeah? All right, I ask myself that first. And if you ever, you ever hear of Joe Manchali? Very good. They have a simple four-column inventory way to do it, which is, uh, if you want me to go into nuts and bolts, there's three basic uh, inventories. There's resentment, so you would have who your, you know, a principle of institution or a person that you resent or you have resented, and then you write down the names. The second column is why you resent them, you know? So I'll use an example. Wendy, all right, why do I resent her? Well, she left me, okay? All right, then you go to the third column, which is the hypothesis that AA offers, which is to look at your instinctual drives, yeah? Because that's what's running this action figure. They're not your instincts. They're built into the program. They're instinctual drives, yes? And those drives are social instincts, you know, having a sense of pride, sense of well-being, maybe respect in your society, uh, your personal relationships. Then there's emotional security that maybe come from love or maybe finances, you'll feel better or whatever, or belonging to a group, yes? There's, a, you know, there's material security that's like clothing, shelter, food, yes? And then there's the sexual instinct, the drive to procreate and, and the pleasure of having sex and connecting with people. And then there's the future ambitions concerning these things. Not just how we want it to be now, but how we want it to be later. And on top of this, that's managing this agenda is self, yes? So self is now managing the agenda to complete the mission to become happy, joyous, and free concerning these instincts, you know? And most of the needs have turned into wants. I live in a very rich area up north, and the people are flipping out just like the person looking for the refrigerator box on fucking Market Street to sleep in are concerning their fourth house. <laughs> they're sharing at a meeting, they're totally fucking anxious about buying their fourth house. And it matches the fear of not having a place to sleep on the streets. It's not based, there's no ratio to the circumstances situation. This thing enlarges, you know, makes mountains out of molehills. It just amplifies, unbelievable. And who am I to judge where a person's at? Because you can have subjective, exquisite suffering that I can't sense. I don't know what the volume, volume of the parasite is in you. Yeah? But there are two knobs. There's the higher power volume and then the parasitical volume. You want AA to allow that higher thing to go up, yes? And therefore the parasitical volume will go down. That's the whole point of AA. And I do not believe we're, we have a spiritual malady. It's a mental malady. malady. The spirit cannot have a malady. It's not a thing. It doesn't have a body. It doesn't get cancer. It doesn't get fucking cut. So there's no spiritual malady. There's a mental malady. And the mental malady is too much interest and attention on the mental state. 
Yeah? We're obsessed with the ideas that we have about ourselves and this whole fucking thing. Yes? There's way too much interest and attention up there. So we need to get out of So what, what do we do with service? Service gets us out of self, basically. We get an experience. So let's say being up the ass of self would be like, service would be like a divine proctologist. We'd pull your fucking attention interest out of you and you'd be serving somebody, yes? But what happens is the system regroups so quickly, it will claim to be the one who's doing the service. And that then you'll have to fucking do service again, not just to be altruistic, but like a hit. You are now addicted to try of getting out of self only to go back into it on and on and on and on and on. What happened with me after doing tons of service, this is what it would be like. I'd be in certain conditions and circumstances. I'd walk in. At most, my conditions and circumstances could last, last about 10 minutes. And then the fucking spirit would come out. I'd feel this empathy and everything and there would be that feeling availability, yes? And in that availability, I sensed the presence. I could feel the spirit, supposedly. All right, this happened thousands of times. But one time it happened, I, instead of being identified as Paul, I was identified as the presence, yeah? What was revealed to me as me was the spirit, yeah? And then I realized, as the presence, I'm always available. And if I'm present and always available, I'm of service, which is incredibly a quantum leap from doing service to be in the attitude and outlook of service, yeah? In other words, to be available, present, anything, anyone available, present, is of service. All right, so where are we? All right, so the fifth, so you do Wendy, why she left me. So I look at my instinctual agenda and I go, all right. It affected my, my uh, pride because I viewed myself as a ladies' man and now she left, so I'm not looking too good with my friends. It affected my personal relationships with her. It affected my self-esteem. Yes, all right, so then I go to my material security. Yeah, Wendy was rich, I'm not. The BMW's gone, I gotta get the Pinto now, the Ford Pinto. Uh, it's a real downgrade, I'm fucking pissed at that, and shit like that. My, fine, my, my emotional security is based on my financial condition, let's say. My sexual agenda is affected, I'm not gonna have sex with Wendy anymore, and I'm also not gonna have sex with her maid, so I'm, and I'm afraid of that. So now I've done the, the three columns, right? Wendy, she left me, affected, seems to have affected my agenda or the agenda quite a lot. And basically the amount it affects the agenda is the emphasis, is the energy of the resentment, yes? It correlates with what uh, the, the size of the thread it is, yes? So there I go, so now I have the three columns and now I ask myself four simple questions after. Where was I or am I being selfish? Where was I? You gotta go both ways because most resentments are in the was, but they're being milked now, yeah? So where was I and am I being self-seeking and frightened? And then there's was I and am I being inconsiderate and dishonest? Now to me, inconsiderate and dishonest really come out of self-seeking and frightened and selfishness. So I just go to two really. So where was I or am I being selfish and self-seeking and frightened? I just answer those questions, right? Now I have a four-column inventory. 
Now that you've done one, you can do 800 of them. You now have the formula to do the 10th step. You have it all set up. Yep. So there. Resentment, first column, second, third, fourth. Same with fear. Fear, you put down the fears. Now the second column in fear, you may not have any reason why you're afraid because it doesn't come from the outside circumstances. It's being manufactured in, in the head. Yeah? So the fear goes out this way where the resentment seems to be an attack this way. Yeah? All right, so fear, you write down your fear. So I'm fear, I'm afraid of being destitute. Okay. Uh, why? Uh, I have no fucking reason, really. <laughs> I have a place to live and everything like that, but I'm still afraid of being destitute. All right? So then I go, all right, what part of my agenda is driving that? Yes? Well, my agenda, that's my uh, material security, my emotional security, my relationships to other people. I don't think I'm going to have much sex in the refrigerator box on fucking the alley on Market Street. So my sexual agenda, my future is affected. So yeah, I have a lot of fear based on I'm going to be destitute someday. And the thing is, if you think about being destitute next week, you feel it now, though, eh? <laughs> That's the bondage of self. You think about the future and the past, but you feel the contraction now. That's the robbery. It harvests a crop out of what's not happening. And then you smoke it in what's happening. And then there's a contraction. How are you going to get a solution from an imaginary problem? How are you going to deal with next Wednesday on Saturday? <laughs> Most people who are flipping out right now aren't flipping out about Saturday night. They're flipping out about last week and next week. You have to see the mental state doesn't give a shit about this present moment. It uses this present moment to think about the past and the future. <laughs> it has no value in now. It uses now to think about yesterday and tomorrow because there's a whole lot of you in yesterday as this, as an action figure, and a whole lot of you as the action figure in tomorrow. So it dwells there. That's where it does it. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen alcoholism from head to toe. I saw the. I've seen it. It's an activity. There's no pathogen. There's no creature. There's no the tingler that's on the spine. There's nothing. It's mental. It's mental. It jacks into the head and it talks to us as us. And it leads us to, so in spirituality, in AA, surrender is held in high regard. Well, in the, in the addiction, it has its own idea of surrender, which is fuck it. It wants to lead us to fuck it. And it knows if we do, we're apt to do almost anything there. And then it will give us suggestions. Let's get loaded. Uh, what the fuck? Let's drink. And therefore, as soon as, then suddenly, as soon as the genie's out of the bottle, the whole ball game changes. Yeah, let's say you have a couple of, uh, let's say you're a little, you have a little strain of jealousy. You start drinking, you're up on stalking charges. <laughs> it amplifies a lot of the things that usually jackpot you. It really does. It, it's sort of like, there's self-centeredness. There's self it's like an acoustic guitar. 
You add alcoholism, it's like an electric guitar. A lot of long solos. When I drank, I swear, I said it last night, it's true. When I first started to drink, I immediately realized I have magnetic appeal to people uniform. We are energetic beacons. You don't know what, what's happening. You're putting out fucking signals. Big time, and for me, it would attract <coughs> uniform people. You know what I mean? And I suffered incredible consequences. Now that same energy is being directed correctly, yes, from the spirit, and it's enriching my day and my life instead of enslaving it and ending me up in jails and fucking rehabs and getting run over by cars twice in one night and a lot of hospital beds. I go to different destinations now. It's incredible because there's a different driver. Yeah. It's the same car, but a totally different driver. Mm -hmm. So all right, so the fear, you do the same four columns, yes? And then you ask the same questions. Now, there's the sexual thing, which is a little different because it's gonna have a fifth column because the sexual thing, it's giving you the opportunity because most of us, uh, we've run into that thing of being incapable of having viable relationships with other people, yes? So basically there seems to be a lot of work needed to be done. We're not gonna do it. We're gonna be open to have it done on us. This is not a self-help program, yeah? So we wanna come up with a new ideal concerning our relationship, so that's part of the inventory. So it has five columns. So it's the same four columns, and you just take the sex through the same four things, but then on the fifth column, after you do the thing over, you ask yourself, what could I have done instead? So instead of like sleeping with the maid, yeah, maybe I should have talked to one of my friends. Hey, do you think it's a good idea I sleep with Wendy's maid? And maybe he said, no, I don't think so, Paul, unless you want to go back to your Pinto, you know? I don't know, you know what I mean? So maybe it would be something else you could have done other than what you did, so that you can get an idea of a new ideal, concerning not just sexual relations, but relations, and then have a willingness to grow towards that, and then that juice will assist you in that. So that's the inventory. So there's resentment, fear, and harms done to others looking at the sexual behavior. Now, if you get into this stuff, then the 12 and 12 has a lot more extensive questioning, and you can go through more, you can like tease it out more, but this is the basic inventory, yes? And so now you have all this information and you see the patterns of how self defeats you. Like one of the things that was interesting to me was in my sexual inventory, uh, my acting out around sex had nothing to do with sex. It had it all to do with self-esteem. Because at the point where I was, I couldn't find much value in my life. But if a pretty woman would let me go horizontal with her, that would make me feel okay, yeah? And I needed to get that hit. It wouldn't last because maybe in a week or two I'd see a mole on her cheek and then she'd be out. And then I have to. So I was going out every night, fucking not to have sex, but to get self esteem. And this is the type of stuff you'll start seeing. You'll see the real agenda that's been running you. Not the one you think, but the real agenda. And one thing you can be sure of whatever the self takes to be important. In your life, the manifestations of itself will be there. Yes? So a lot of women I know, they're willing to surrender everything but their body image, and that's where all their anxiety and resentments resides, because they're still trying to manage something, and therefore, where self is, its manifestations are. 
And if you can't get a sense of self, you'll know it by its fruits. You'll see the manifestations, and then what hopefully it will bring you right back to is the third step, seriously. All right, so then the fifth step is when you've done all this writing, and you've seen somehow the patterns of how you've been defeated, and you're gonna share it with someone, sponsor or someone else. And uh, they'll hopefully hold the space, and it's not just you and them, it's also the higher spirit, yes? It's like a trinity. So that power comes into the situation, you're with somebody, and then you share, you read your stuff out, your resentments, you do your inventory with them, and they help you see stuff you're not seeing, and then hopefully you'll take the opportunity to share the secrets that you were, you thought you were gonna take to your grave, yes? Something that you felt you'd never say it to anyone, take the opportunity then. Because I remember I had something since I was 11, this was like 20, about 25 years, I, no one had ever gotten close to it. <laughs> I had spent a lot of money on security guards and shit like that. And I was there and I finally told this guy and he yawned right through it. I had to repeat it, so I said it twice. <laughs> At one night after 26 years. And of course, what happens when you put it out there, it shrinks unbelievably. And that's the amazing thing. The paper can hold what the heaviest fucking thing in your life, the inventory. If you just put it on that paper, it can hold everything. Yes? Yes. And the beautiful thing, it won't produce your answer, it'll produce its own answer. You don't need any more of your answers. You want AA's answer. So by writing it, writing it on paper, you, I'm telling you, you're gonna see all this activity in a different light than when you're going over it with your friends, yapping and yapping and yapping, yeah? So, all right, so then you do the fifth step, and if you're lucky, you'll listen to some fifth steps, which is very powerful. And if you get a chance to sponsor somebody in the program, you'll get a whole new view of the same steps you did by watching someone else do. Yeah, and to hold the space for someone else to allow them to be all that they're not, really. Because they're not all of that. Yeah, they are something other than all that's being dispelled, all that's being put out there. They're not, though, they, we've been had by resentments. We've never had a resentment. We've been had by resentments. We've been had by fear, but we've never had fear. All right, so there's the fifth step. Now to me, the sixth and seventh step are the most active steps as you get into the program down the road, yeah? Because it's only two paragraphs in the book and people think, oh, they went home, they read it, and that's it. But basically, mm, more is revealed about alcoholism. So you'll see it coming up or you'll be at meetings and you'll hear it coming up and you've lost the idea that this is my alcoholism, you realize it's our alcoholism. So when you're sharing about alcoholism and it hits something in me, I immediately go to, hey, I'm entirely ready to have this reconfigured. I don't like to have this removed because I don't think energy can be removed. It can just be reconfigured. And I think we're energy, really, yeah? So I say, hey, so someone's talking about feel, uh, being afraid of being a fraud and then it hits me, ooh. So to have that too, seemingly. So I go, hey, I'm entirely ready to have this feeling removed. This, right now. And the quicker you can get it out of the oven, the better. You don't want to have a forensic unit, you know. Three months, oh, I felt like a fraud. That, no, catch it while it's happening, yes? And, that's, and so I go, I'm entirely ready to have this 
uncomfortability or whatever it is. You're watching some now. Time ready to have this removed and then you humbly ask that power to remove it or reconfigure it because this is not a self-help program. And it's sort of like after time, it's like putting out the garbage Yeah, on Wednesday night. The garbage man comes on Thursday. I don't stay up all night. Where's the garbage man? I have faith that if I put the freaking garbage out, somebody's going to take the garbage. Well, this is what it's like. You recognize it, you put it out through the way it has provided, six and seven, and you offer it. And the thing is, see, this whole idea that it's my alcoholism is the root of alcoholism. Alcoholism is completely impersonal and it appears to be completely personal. It's a parasite. You're not going to domesticate it. You're not going to befriend it. You're not going to therapize it out of its behavior. It will lay in wait until it rises again. I spent two years in a program and it was seemingly kept at bay. As soon as I left, it was on top of me once again. College didn't do it. Being good didn't do it. Nothing to do it. We're all outmatched. The only thing a power respects is a greater power. And in our condition of being addicted, we're not the greater power. We've given our power to the parasite, and it's lording it over us. We're used for transportation, fucking pretty much. Really, look at it. Look at our society. How many thousands of us all different ethnicities, different upbringings, different intelligences, but so many of us end up at the same three parking spaces, institution, jails, and death. There's one fucking driver. Alcoholism. That's why I, I identify with you. I don't know who you are, but I know what's taking you over. And I know what it's like to feel being taken over, and when you share about it, I, I uh, identified because I've lived under the same tyranny. And I'm telling you, that volume of the parasite can be turned down, but not by the parasite. Self is not going to get out of self. So all right, six and seven to me are the biggest working steps in the program. I go, I like to do it at the meeting the most because I think there's a loving God or a loving power that's expressing itself in our group conscience. So I think there's a real juice to do it in. And I think it's like, you know, putting in, you ever see when they have those uh, packages they put in those tubes, get sucked up. I think there's a real juice at the meeting. So I'm sitting there, listen to everyone, and I go, I feel something. I go, hey, I'm entirely ready to have that fucking reconfigured. Yeah, and I swear to God. Now, a guy said something to me really cool. He said, yeah, this one of his sponsors come and says, you know, I don't, how is this, how is this power going to remove these things? How am I going to know it's removed? He says, well, act as if it is. <laughs> so which came first, the chicken or the egg? Are you acting as if it's removed, or are you acting as if it's removed because it's been removed? Who cares? <laughs> yes? Fucking this is having faith in mind, having faith in what we are, instead of having faith in what we're not. I'll tell you, really, having faith in what you're not, see, it says in our book, it's a failed system, what we're relying on, yes? 
So what happens if you have faith in a failed system? What happens if you have faith in a failed thought system? It's going to produce tons of anxiety. It's going to be able to produce anxiety out of what's not happening because of our faith in it. If that faith would be directed by something that isn't self-centered, but let's say centered, that same energy, that same faith would enrich your night. You'd be available. You'd never get gypped again, asleep or awake. You would never fall for the idea that you need to get into the moment. You, have, you would be completely convinced you cannot be out of the moment. You and I have never been out of any moment we've been in. Just look at the surveillance tapes. <laughs> you were there. Oh, I was, I was really, how, no, you're fucking right there. This is all an amusement of the mental state. It's entertaining impossibilities. It thinks things could have been different. <laughs> it has lovely dreams. Oh, I'd be, here I am, I'm sitting here, and I say, you know, Paul, you could have been a pro surfer or anything like this, but I'm missing one point, my fucking leg. Got run over twice. You know, oh, let's just put that aside. And just, oh, I could have been, but I can't. So like, oh, I, I would have three kids by now if I was a woman, but I'm not a woman. Yes? This is what the head, it, 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 it seemingly forgets the facts to sort of go off on some tangent. It's insane. It's, an, it's a slavery. Can you imagine? Uh, we're enslaved to yesterday and tomorrow right now. Instead of being free right now from yesterday and tomorrow, we're enslaved by yesterday and tomorrow right now. How, can, how hard is it to be free from what's not happening? So I did four, five, six, and seven, yes? How much time do we have? Go on. Let's go to non-duality. You want to hear some? Good idea. Yeah? All right. Well, then, let's so. See, if you go, AA will take you there. Because if you see that there is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity, yes? That there is no thing, there's no single independent thing, that's non-duality. So AA may end there, but it, when you end there, it was before AA. Because the fact there's never been a self, yes? So non-duality is just a simple idea that has really, you know, AA to me is a way of life, yeah? But I'll tell you, and it's a, it's a way of life that expresses illumination, but the illuminating quality is non-duality, yes? Non-duality is the absolute, it's like the, it's like every particle of the sky that can't get affected by anything that appears in it. It's, it's the freedom before the bondage. It's that which is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching. It's that which is our commonality, that we all are that. If you look at everyone's basis of life, it's conscious contact, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, yes? 
That's the basis of life. The seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching is consciousness or spirit in contact. That's what we are. We are the consciousness or spirit in contact. The mental state arises after the contact and says it's the one that's in contact. That's what it does. That's its robbery. That which comes after, which is the idea of you. And if you weren't in an abusive situation when you were a kid, there was in the first like 16 months of a child, there's no sense of other or self. It has to be formulated by the brain down the road. The energy, you ever seen a baby? That's what's so attracted to them. There's no one home. <laughs> they're, just, they're just fucking wide open. So would you come in with $30,000 worth of plastic surgery, incredible Armani clothing, and who are you going to be attracted to? The baby. Because the baby is it. Because it's demonstrating we have the sense of it. Yeah? We believe we've lost it or moved on, but we haven't. That's the inherent condition. The I that has no me. Yes? Because once the me arises, it replaces the I, seemingly. Yes? So now the light starts looking for the light. While all the while it is the light. So we're trying to look for a spirit through the body instead of realizing maybe I'm not the body and find out that you're spirit. And we say in the big book, the daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition, yes? That's the basic bottom line. The daily reprieve from alcoholism is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. And it's going to be a whole lot of maintenance if you start from a body condition. But what would happen if you're not a body condition and you are a spiritual condition? The being of the spirit would be the highest form of maintenance. Yes? The being, when something's being, look at seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Is there any thought or effort? Am I sweating because I've been seeing too much today? You know what I mean? Am I going to a seeing class? <laughs> no. There's being, is, it's being what it is, it's not demonstrating any thought or effort. Why would you believe thought and effort would bring you back to what demonstrates no thought or effort? If I am a spirit's condition, that's the highest form of maintenance of a spirit's condition. And that's the basis of the daily reprieve. You start from spirit instead of from fucking head and image and body, that's all. The body continues, everything continues, but your starting point isn't of that, it's of I. And to me, it's allowed me to travel lighter here as this action figure. It didn't make everything great. Maybe it didn't change the geography of my life and the destiny of it, but I've, it's allowed me to travel lighter with whatever was coming my way, which is a pretty damn good freaking gift. Yeah. And it really doesn't demonstrate any thought and effort. I mean, I don't start, I don't have a, like a, a get ready room before I come to a talk. <laughs> and then a get set room, and then go room. I just walk in here, and it, just, it doesn't matter. I have complete faith that something will move through. Yes? 
because it has and it does. And you can't pin this message on me. It's never been me that's been giving it. That thing has been giving it through this. This isn't doing anything. That's why I can keep showing up. I've been to more Paul Hedeman meetings than anyone here. <laughs> I've never missed a Paul Hedeman meeting because I never really attended one. I just show up just like I did when I was doing the fourth step in AA 30-something years ago. It didn't, because it was a mind-boggling. I did it for so many Monday nights, 16 years of Monday nights, that's 52 by 16. It's quite a lot of Monday nights, yeah? And I went, I had, I was in so many different conditions and circumstances in some of those Monday nights. And it was at 8.15 Monday night at Dry Dock, San Francisco. Sometimes I was waiting here if I had AIDS, you know? Because back then when you had the AIDS test, it took three weeks. So, and I had, a, I had a ample evidence to think I had AIDS because I was an intravenous user and everything like that. Sometimes my fairy princess broke up with me right before the meeting. Sometimes there's sinus infections. It didn't matter whatever condition or circumstance I was in when I showed up yeah, to that meeting. Everything that was so pressing was totally, totally forgotten for that hour, completely. And after a while I said, how could it be real if it could disappear so fast? Yes? So I read something, so much was revealed there. And I would just be a hose and the water would come through. And I'm a real believer. I don't believe is you have to have it to give it away. I believe if you're willing to give it away, you'll have it, to tell you the truth. That's my experience. If you're willing to give it away, you'll have it. Yes? It's always available at all times, right where we are, with no requirement necessary, except the ones you make up. <laughs> and maybe you'll lose interest in all those ways to arrive at where you already are, and maybe it'll dawn on that you're here. Yeah. When? Now. Where? Here. Yeah. So, uh, so the non-duality. I could get into it, but the, because what happens? See, with the non-duality, is people hear it, but the selfing that implies you as a self is the quickest process I've ever seen. Some people, they say it happens in less than five seconds. So what happens, the mental state claims whatever you are brought into contact with. So let's say you're doing something, yes? Let's say there's a doing. It will claim to be the doer. So let's say you're going to try to meditate yourself out of being a, the self, but what will happen is the meditation will be claimed to imply the meditator. And I've realized you're never going to meditate yourself out of the meditator. You're never going to think yourself out of the thinker. You're never going to feel yourself out of the feeler. So I don't believe in this world there's a process quicker than selfing. I just don't. The only, so it's like a gunslinger. You bring up the quickest, most extreme radical process, it's going to claim to be the one doing the process. Pretty fucking fast. I mean, I've seen it. So there's nothing that's going to outgun it except timelessness, which is our inherent condition. Because in timelessness, the gun is always out. It's prior to the selfing. The light that you are is prior to the selfing. Everything else comes after the selfing. Everything in time is after the process of being the claimer and the doer of it. Everything. But the, what we are is prior to it. You can see what you're not. You can see the activity of what you're not. 
you can see it. And hopefully in seeing it, the emphasis will leave what you're not and will land in what you are. And now the game that was rigged will be rigged in another way. Yes. You won't be trying to get into the moment. You realize you can't be out of it. You won't be trying to get out of self. You realize you can never be in it. It's that simple. Instead of looking for what you are from what you're not, you'll be seeing what you're not from what you are. Beautiful, huh? <laughs> Just like that. This is hopefully what happens at these talks. You'll get a rotation. Maybe it won't seemingly stick, but one at a time, strip. Yeah? And then all it takes is a little bit of a hit from the seeing, and a lot will be revealed about what's being seen. Yes? And it's not you. There's a great, before we go, questions. There's a great master, Zen master. There was Zen, there's two kinds of Zen, right? There's Zen that was initially in China, and then it got moved to Japan and became like samurai fucking Zen, yeah? So in the, <laughs> the Chinese Zen was quite a little casual and chilled out, yes? And so this one great master, Hawaiian Post, said, whatever can be perceived cannot be perceived. So you can see me, yes? Yes? This isn't perceiving. I see that, that isn't perceiving. Yes? So we're basically as a body, we're all off the game board. It's that, it's that which is no thing that's seeing. Yes? Yes. And it says, you cannot use the Buddha to seek the Buddha. It's beautiful, really. You cannot use light to seek light. You cannot use mind, big mind, not the mental processes. You can't use mind to seek mind, yeah? Now, if this man was a great master, would he say that to Bill, Jim, or Sue? No, he was talking to, AKA Bill, as the Buddha. He was saying, Buddha, you can't use yourself to find yourself. This is the whole point. Learn about what you're not, and you'll find out what you are, instead of trying to learn about what you are and reinforce what you're not. You are the Buddha, looking for the Buddha. You're using light to look for light. To me, it's like I went into a spiritual shoe store, I heard these statements, I put the shoe on and it fit. It totally invalidated most of my behavior since six years old. I've been trying to get it out of self as self since I was six. <laughs> I shot up tons of cocaine, <laughs> trying to eject myself out of self, but be there to watch the ejection. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it the best shot and didn't want it to work. You can't get out of an imaginary place. You can't. I'm telling you, you know. Believe me or not, I could save you a lot of time. You are what you're looking for. Not as you thought about, but that as that which is prior to thought. For thoughts to be noticed, there must be light. You are the awareness that allows thoughts to be noticed. You are the awareness that allows feelings to be felt.
You're not a thing that's aware. You're aware of things. So, hey. Yeah. Uh, and if you're interested in any of that stuff, God help you. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a lack of interest that serves you. It's a weird thing. You lose interest in it. You lose interest in your spiritual progress and you progress greatly. <laughs> I don't know how it works. It works. So any questions? What time? We did some time. How much time? I have a question about something you wrote in your book. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Why well, didn't write the no, book? No, no. I, I, okay. I, uh, I think you may have covered it, but maybe you could say it in a different way. Uh, my view is that you've got to go to the first addiction if you want relief from the third, fourth, sixth, and ninth addiction. Yes. All of these addictions are your mind trying to manage the irritability, restlessness, and discontent of an unfulfilled first addiction, which is the addiction of becoming what you think you're not and unbecoming what you think you are. Yes. And becoming what you think you are and unbecoming what you think you're not. Yes. I can give it to you in a way. So let's use the framework of the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. Yeah, in Buddhism, in like uh, formalized Buddhism, there was a man, Gautama Buddha, a long, long time ago. And he came up with, he had some takes, and one of the takes was the Four Noble Truths about what's happening. And he says, uh, there's a certain suffering or malaise, yeah, more like a vague sense of irritability, restlessness, and discontent, basically, yes? Here, all right? And it says, and what's causing that is desire. Yeah, desiring. Now I looked at what's the original desire? It's a desire to become and unbecome. So the mental state desires to become a thing and unbecome what it thinks it is. Yeah. So it, it wants to become and unbecome. It's almost like a slinking. So this is the agitation that begets more agitation. So the mental state wants to become a self. So Yes? Nothing wants to become something. It will never fulfill it. You're never going to be a body. Have you ever seen someone you know dead? Did, what, was that who you knew? The body wasn't who you knew. I had it when I was nine years old. My mother brought me to my Uncle Fred's funeral. It was an open casket. My mother, my mother said, you want to say to Uncle Fred? Goodbye to Uncle Fred. I wasn't that keen on it, but she dragged me up. I looked at the body and I had a hit. I said, that ain't mm. Uncle Fred. Mm. Yeah, the body was there, but what was animating it was gone. And it was obvious that wasn't Uncle Fred. Now in hindsight, I realized why I thought Uncle ben Fred was the body, because I thought I was the body. So seeing that I'm, I was looking from being a body, so I saw everyone else as a body. But when I saw the body without the animation, that wasn't the body, yeah? So to me, the desire to become and unbecome is the incessant agitation of the mental state. It wants to unbecome what it thinks it is, like a loser or unlovable or I really fucked up, whatever. And then it wants to become what it can never be. So it's a, it's a thwarted desire that's like a slinky, yeah? It just goes on on and on and on and on. That to me. And the original addiction, if you want to use it in time, is the addiction of the mental state to the idea of being a self. That's the addiction. That's why we get loaded, trying to get relief from that. We're trying to get relief from the bondage of self. 
but we're trying to get relief from the bondage of self as self. That's why it doesn't fucking work. That's why they're called addictions, because they never work, yeah? If cocaine would have worked, I would have hit a point, and I would have said, thank you, Lord Cocaine. I give all of my coke to everyone. I'm totally satiated. I feel fucking enlightened. No, you know? The more I had, the more I wanted. And the emptier fucking I felt. And when you try to leave cocaine, it wouldn't allow you to leave because you had no ability to have any fucking sense of fun or anything. You were dead. I, you ever hear a thing called cotton fever back then? I shot up, I was with three people, we shot up some coke, and something was in the thing. And so I was, I was the first one for it to hit, because I always went first <laughs> with the shot. <laughs> and this thing was a fucking, it, something goes into your blood system, and you go off, like super delirious, and, you're, and you can't even stand up. And then the next person, and the next person. And we couldn't even, we tried to get to a phone, we called up my girlfriend, and I couldn't even get to the ringer to open, let her in. We're all just fucking dying. She finally gets in through the superintendent. I swear off a fucking coke. We're driving home in the Volkswagen bug. I throw my needles out, I fucking just, no. And now I'm home without cocaine. I read Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens, 1200 pages. Right? I watched about tons of terrible movies. I'm up for fucking three days and I have no ability to enjoy anything. There was no joy at all. Nothing. Until I went back to Coke. Mm. That's how bereft I was. And you don't think, you don't think something has taken us over? Remember the days, I don't know if you were, when we used to be shooting Coke, we'd be in a lyric in someone's apartment. And there would be strange people. Some people, after they shot, they'd always be like this. They bent over, just weird shit happened. So we're shooting coke, you know? And then we start, everyone's running out of coke. And so, so you're just sitting there, and you don't have any more. And then suddenly, you start looking at the rug. And you think you see, like, coke. So you get down, and you start looking through the rug. Oh. Then the next person sees you, and they get down. And you're like, no, stay over there. And you're picking up lint, and you're, hoping, and you're putting it in, and you're willing to fucking shoot it up. Something's taking you over. Seriously. I mean, seriously. Something is taking you over. I once got, I, me and my friend, we really liked opium, yeah? So we heard that this guy's from opium. We were gonna meet him at a three-day uh, heavy metal thing at Oakland Coliseum. We we're gonna meet him on this uh, this pedestrian bridge. So we get the stuff. You know, it looks tarish and black. We go back to our apartment, and uh, my girlfriend's in the kitchen. We're in the room, so we open it. We shoot some up. You know, and we're trying. Are you feeling it? I'm going, I think I'm feeling it. You know, going on this. And my girlfriend comes in, and she says, it smells like incense. What? We, was, we just shot up incense. It wasn't opium. What did we do? We shot it again. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you would never have been able to go as far as you've been taken. That fucking thing will take you farther than you can ever fucking imagine. And then it'll dump you. You'll be in prison by yourself. You'll be in the hospital by yourself. 
Yeah, I know, man. I've been under its takeover. It's driven me a long, long time. And you know, like I said yesterday, people like these 10-day spiritual retreats. I was on 10-day cocaine retreats. <laughs> man, this oh, shit. You, if you don't die, you learn a lot in those. <laughs> if you look at, really, if you look at drug addiction, especially cocaine, most of the time it isn't fucking fun. You're just getting the rush, basically, and then it's cost. You're suffering and terribly. But the drive to get that rush, you're apt to do almost anything. That's not of us, that's of the parasite. So, I think that's that, eh? Good. Yeah? yeah.